If your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter number 15 this morning as we go to the Word. What a beautiful song. I pray that you will with me pursue Him now by faith as we go to His Word. Romans chapter number 15. I do want to say that if you're one of the regulars with us, you know that generally we do the Lord's table today. We're going to postpone that till next week just with the fellowship dinner and may continue to do that regularly on the second Lord's Day. We love um, to partake of that. think that that's a means that God extends grace to us in some measure. Not, no saving grace, but He does increase our faith as the gospel is preached visually through that. And I pray that you'll prepare your, your hearts and minds for that um, for next week as well. Our fellowship meal today, I pray that you'll stay and be a part of that. It's always a blessing to fellowship with you afterwards. Um, but now the text. And it may surprise some of you that we came to Romans chapter number 15. And I took some time off from the pulpit for the last month and it's been a blessing. It's been um, hard at times. It's been uh, difficult in different ways, but it's been good. Um, and I had every intention this week of coming back and just picking back up in Mark chapter number 12. And um, I would ask you to pray for me in the pursuit of that. And in a few weeks, we'll begin Mark chapter number 13. I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I would appreciate your prayers as we approach that, that chapter and um, that the Lord would <clears throat> bless um, as we engage the topic there and just continue to finish out the book of Mark. Um, but, but interestingly enough, this week as um, I was away on vacation and at times just alone with the Lord and engaging with uh, another congregation and just on social media reading news articles, just engaging with my family. Um, the Lord, I think, I think I need to preach from this text this morning. Um, and not just Romans 15, but Romans 14 and Romans 15. I'm not going to read the entirety of the passage, though. Um, but the entirety of the argument lies here in Romans chapter 14 and Romans chapter number 15. And we'll get into it in just a moment. But for the sake of time, I'm just going to read Romans chapter number 15, verses 1 through 13. So if you will and are able, we'll stand out of reverence for the reading of, of God's Word. And we'll pick up our reading in Romans chapter number 15, verse 1. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the Lord reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing unto your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse. And he, shall, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I would ask you now that you pray with me 
that the Lord would take his word to the depths of our hearts, to the very transforming of our minds. And I'll be praying to you for you that God would do that. And I, and I ask that you pray for me that God would do that as well. Um, interestingly enough, I, after a month, you think I'd come back chomping at the bit. And, and since I am, there's another sense in which I, I don't know, my mind has wandered the last few days and I just couldn't outline it like I wanted to. I just couldn't logically place it like I desired to. And I mean, I have notes here and I have written notes and I, I feel like my mind's a hundred different places. So I'm praying the Lord will stay my mind and just be honored in, in what we do here and now. So let's pray together that that would, that would happen. Father, we love you and we thank you and we praise you just for the glory and the blessing that we have in Christ Jesus. Father, we know that outside of him we're we're nothing. We're reminded of that, Lord, as John tells us that, that if we don't abide in Him, Father, we, we, we can do nothing. But more than that, Father, we are nothing. Um, Father, and maybe in a sense we're not nothing. Maybe in a sense we're everything that You don't want us to be. And, and that's true. Um, but Father, today in Christ, I pray that we've gathered together, uh, approaching the, boldly the very throne room of grace, petitioning Him, Father, petitioning you through your son by the power of your spirit for things that are impossible father we come to your word unworthy in a sense and just pray that you would take it and that you would utilize it father to accomplish eternal things in us father we stand this morning knowing that we've offended a holy god probably with most of our lives now we don't deserve this privilege we think about our brothers in Afghanistan. We think about our sisters and brothers in Myanmar. We think about those, Father, all across the world, many of whom today don't have the Scripture in their own language. Father, we have so much privilege this morning like the Israelites did. We have the oracles. We have the fathers. We have the patriarchs. Lord, we have the blessing of, of the Scriptures. Father, we have by Your Spirit one of the most miraculous things in all the world, Father. Um, we have the ability this morning by Your Son to commune with a living God. And one way we do that, Father, is in Your Word. So God, would You meet with us now in Your Word, Father. May it go forth with faithfulness, Father. May the intent of the, of the Scriptures be taught this morning. May it be declared, Father, with boldness, but also with compassion. And may You, Father, take Your Word as Isaiah tells us and and uh, we know that it won't return void, so you do with it, Father, as you please. Help us to receive it with joy and with gladness, Father, ready and willing to take up whatever you desire of us this morning and, um, and die to ourselves, Father, and follow Christ. May that happen this morning, Father, that we would follow your Son in the Scriptures. Lord, we need you to do this because we can't. We need You to go to places, Father, that we can't go. And we need You to change things that we cannot change. Father, we are on many days a hopeless people. Give us hope this morning, Father, as we turn to Christ in Your Word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Bless you. Understanding. We come now to... Romans chapter number 15, but as I said, uh, Romans chapter number uh, 14 is really the beginning of this portion of Scripture. Romans 14 and 15 are nestled in just a glorious book. 
Um, you know, if you had to pick a favorite, most theologians would pick the book of Romans, and I think most Christians would as well. And while all Scripture, all 66 books are inspired and preserved and have ultimate purpose in our lives, as we'll see even within the text that we had just read, um, there are Scriptures that seem to be exalted in our lives at different times, and I think the book of Romans is, is one of those. Um, it's just a glorious treatise on Christ and His salvation and His depth of love and His height of justice and righteousness and how you and I as sinners, Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3 can come to Him, Romans 4 uh, through 11 essentially, uh, can come to Him by faith and receive the righteousness of Christ by faith. And what, we ha- what happens many times is that we come to those Scriptures and we go to Romans chapter 1 and we begin expositing those Scriptures. And it's been a task that I've thought about doing in this church for some time. And, and, and I've listened to men exposited and I've taught through it in, in another local assembly in a Sunday school setting. And, and what can happen is you, you can begin teaching and you can begin expositing and you can be going verse by verse and breaking apart words and trying to get the meaning of the text. And that's all good and it's well and that's needful and that's what we do here. It's what we've been doing with the book of of Mark and it's been a blessing. But there's a times in which you just need to take the book of Romans and just read it all the way through. Now because it was a letter written to a local assembly, written to a church. And what can happen on some days is that we can get lost in the theological uh, trees as it were and forget the big picture that God was trying to communicate to this church at Rome that this letter would have been written and it would have been read in one sitting. Uh, not only individually or privately, but, but particularly corporately, as many men, women, families uh, commonly didn't have the Scriptures uh, during those times. So there would have been one copy that was read among and preached and declared. Uh, and that's what would have happened here. That you wouldn't have seen a dissection really between Romans chapter 1 and 11 and Romans chapter 12 through 16. That there would have been this marriage between the two. This doctrine and devotion. This, um, this theology and this practice. That Paul spends the first 11 chapters um, delineating upon this amazing grace that God has extended to us through in and through Christ. And continues even to this very day and that great hope that we have in Him. And then in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 1, we see that great um, command, that great exhortation. I beg you, I beg you, if this is true, then to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Totally, 100% holy, acceptable uh, to God, which is your reasonable service. Not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And he goes on to just exhort the church at Rome and to exhort you and I. But as I said, it's more than just theology in an abstract form. It's theology that grips the individual's heart and life such that um, it provokes a living faith, a sacrificial faith, a devoted faith. And that Paul is, is not writing here to appease um, the theological elite. He's not writing an academic paper because he's trying to graduate from seminary. Paul in Romans chapter number 1 even cries out to them and, and says that he desires to come to them to impart some type of gift unto them. The church at Rome were a real people. It was a, this was a letter with people within a congregation that, 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 that is on our level. That it's very likely that as Paul writes to Rome that, that he had people in mind, although he had never met, he had heard. 
He had heard of the faith that they'd had and that it had been heard of throughout the whole world. And that he had heard things that were happening um, within the church. Um, he had heard of people and possible divisions and factions that were um, being birthed within God's family. That Romans chapter 12, it, 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 it moves on to Romans chapter number 13, which deals with authority. And then at the end of that, it, it catapults into this, um, this exposition, this delineation of love. He says that in verse number 8, Oh, no one anything in chapter 13, except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And he goes on to exposit the commandments there that are in, our, in, our, in Exodus chapter 20. And in verse 10, he says, Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing the time. And he talks about um, abstaining from sinfulness and from fulfilling the flesh. Verse number uh, 14, he says, Make no provision for the flesh. And then we have in chapter 14, verse number 1, um, this, this, this exposition that grows out of what we had just read. Um, particularly in chapter 13, as he gives this exhortation on love and how um, if you love, then you fulfill all the law. You know, you won't, you won't uh, commit adultery. You won't bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, you won't covet. You won't do all these things that essentially, um, as Christ taught us, the, 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 the commandments, the entirety of the law can be summed up in this. Love God and love your neighbor. No wonder in chapter 14 and verse number 1, he gives us a direct um, illustration and an example of how this plays out in real life. And I love it. I love the Apostle Paul. I love the Word of God. And I love the local church. And that's what this was. It was a local church. In chapter 14 and verse number 1, you read these words, Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. What you find whenever you come to Romans chapter 14 and verse number 1, again, is just a local church. This wasn't a special church in any sense that um, it was a super church and that uh, you know, Paul's writing to people who um, have a theological grasp. You know, most of the churches that he writes to are messed up people. And in, in, in the very beginning, he recognizes and acknowledges that very thing. And I love it. Um, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. That Paul recognizes that within the local congregation, and we need to recognize within the local congregation as well, that we are a congregation that is on a process called sanctification. Um, that you as an individual are at a certain point, and I as an individual am at a certain point, and us as a congregation um, are at a certain point, that Paul recognizes that within the local congregation that there are the weak and that there are the strong. Um, that there are those that are at different points on the road and path to glory. And he lays that out and acknowledges it as well. While there's glories about the church that he revels in, about the beauty and the glory of the differences within the church, he recognizes that the church is never meant to be um, a cozy little club of like-minded people of one race or social position or of a certain intellectual caliber. 
That people within the local assembly, that people within the church of Rome, that people within the church of Corinth, that people with the churches in, in Ephesus, that people that were in the churches all throughout Asia were people that were just that. They were people saved by the grace of, of God. And there was a beauty in their differences. And there's a beauty in the differences even within this church. And I love it. I love everything about it. You know, I think about my own life and I think about my, I reflect upon my own testimony and I, and I wonder some days why we're here. From a natural mindset, I come and I grow up uh, with a single, uh, with, with a mother, with a, a single mother with five children on welfare and food stamps. And we grow up in the projects and there's drugs next door, there's alcohol upstairs, there's just an abuse of, of sexual immorality all around, even within the home. And, um, and I wonder why in the world I'm here. And I hear about some of you, and I, and I glory in the fact that God kept you from much of that, but also glory in the fact that God didn't keep me from much of that. And how we come from different places, and how some of you um, are, 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 are blue-collar, and some are white-collar, and some are here, and some are, are there, and that some have this gifting, and some have that gifting, and, and I have little to no giftings, you know, um, that, that, that I lean on a lot of you for a lot of those giftings, and I see the beauty of a body, and just the, the cogs on the wheel, and how it all works together, and how it all um, just, just moves as this one unit, this one entity, as we read in Ephesians chapter 4, this one body for one cause, that that's why we're here, and it's, it's beautiful. But at the same time, what we need to recognize is that in organizations like that, in societies, in any organism like that, where there are different parts all coming together for one purpose, that it creates the perfect environment for potential disaster. Because we are so different, you know? We come from different places. We come from different backgrounds. We, some of us are weak and some of us are strong. Some of us are skilled and some of us are not. Some of us believe certain things and some of us don't. That I come from a very rigid, not only as a belief, not only as a young child, but coming to faith. I also come from a very as coming into the faith, and let me just preface this with the churches that I've been involved in in days past have just been a blessing to me and God has used in mighty ways. But at the same time, um, there's a very rigid legalism in many of them such that what they attempt to do is to create societies of uniformity instead of unity. And there were days and days past and years past and months past in which I would have looked at other Christians and said, I'm not sure that that person is a believer because they do that thing. Um, and I was wrong. Maybe not wrong on all accounts, and we'll get to that in just a moment, but wrong on many accounts. I mean, that's what Paul is in some sense dealing with in this portion of Scripture. You have a church that's been saved by the grace of God. It's being led. Uh, we pray by, we understand by elders and by deacons and, and God has organized the church and He's now writing to the church because there seems to be factions um, within the church or divisions that may be starting as one another despises one another. Why? Because of their differences. That's what he says in verse number 14. This exhortation, it seems like it comes out of nowhere, but it's born out of that, 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 um, that reality of love at the end of Romans chapter number 13 where he says to take off the old man and to put on Christ and to love um, is one of the ultimate ethics of Christianity. Therefore, we could almost put... Um, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes 
over doubtful things. For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Verse number four, who are you to judge another's servant? And we're just going to walk through the text very quickly to give you an idea of exactly the kind of things that are going on within the church at Rome and maybe even going on within the church now. Maybe not our church, but if not our church today, church tomorrow. You know Why? Because we're people. And we're people that come with baggage. We're people that come and that, that, that have been glorified in some sense, but are, but are running towards glory. You know, we have been sanctified, Paul tells us in, uh, in, in, in his letter to Corinth, that we have been washed by the blood, that we have been sanctified, that we have been set apart. You and I, if you come to Christ by faith, then you have been sanctified in past tense, that you have been set apart this holy thing for God's use and God's use alone. But at the same time, we recognize that it's not fully complete. That while we have been sanctified and set apart for a particular use, that each of us are growing in Christ. We're on different points at sanctification and that one day we will finally be glorified, which is also just a fancy way to say ultimately, eternally sanctified in a perfect state. But at the same time, um, we can refer to sanctification as being glorified because there is a sense in which we too have been glorified, right? Paul even tells us that, that as we behold the very face of Christ and the Word of God by the power of the Spirit, that we are changed from one glory to another. That you have been glorified in some sense and we're working and being glorified until one day ultimately we will as well be glorified. You know what that means? That's a, that's a, perfect, um, a, a perfect equation for glory and it's a perfect equation for a mess. And that's what you may see here at the church at Rome. At the church of Rome, he, he commands them in verse number one to receive, to accept those who are weak in the faith. That there's a recognition and acknowledgement that there are going to be people at different places in the process of sanctification. That, that setting apart, that glorifying as we're running towards glory, there's going to be people um, who believe different things. Right? One believes that he may eat all things. Verse two. But one uh, believes that he may, or that, that, that who is weak eats only vegetables. And he, and he encourages them here not to despise. This is the application or the instruction. Don't despise him who doesn't eat. And let him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. And here's the mess, right? And there's a lot of um, um, speculation as to what exactly Paul is talking about here. If you were to go back to Romans chapter, or not Romans, but 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and you read that entirety of a chapter, you see another similar scenario. You see meat that are given to idols. Um, and, and you find a group of people who come along, possibly Gentiles, who say, we can eat meat given to idols. After all, they're not given to any god anyway. And then you have another group of people that says, we'll never touch with our lips. Um, meat that's given to idols. Why? Because it offends our conscience. And there's a good there's a good chance that the people that we're speaking there are Jew and Gentile, um, and and they come at all different levels. That the Jew who understands pagan idolatry and the Old Testament law, I mean, born out of that, could have been an affection for, for, for God such that they obeyed their entire life, 30, 40, 50 years, this Old Testament, Old Covenant law, and they come out and they're saved by the grace of Christ. Uh, repentance and faith, and, and now they're thrust forward, living a life for Christ and abandoning an old covenant such that it was so important that an entire book called Hebrews was necessary to write, to teach them to abandon the old covenant. 
And what you have is this, this intermittent period between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant where, where Jews particularly don't know exactly what to do. I mean, we've been honoring the Sabbath all of our lives. We've been um, kosher all of our lives. And now you want to put uh, bacon on the table, you know? I mean, it's that kind of deal. It was an offense to conscience on many respects. It very well could be that that's what's being talked about here in Romans chapter number 14. Although it does seem a little different. Why? Because one has determined not to eat meat at all. Um, but really, that's not the point. And we see that later on in the passage, that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. That we could get lost in all of the uh, material aspects of what we're speaking about here. But the purpose of the Apostle Paul in this portion of Scripture is found in Romans 15 in our text. Verse number 3. For even Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on Me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That we, through the script, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another. But I come from a long line of offense in churches. You say, well, I preach this passage as I reflect over the former days being in other churches, being with other men, getting on social media, reading news articles. You know, I mean, just a hopelessness almost if you don't keep your eyes on Christ, just rest upon you because you see the turmoil of the world. But the thing that is heartbreaking most of all, is not the turmoil of the world, but the turmoil within the church. But I don't know how many people I've talked to over the past several months that are faithful, solid doctrine, and their churches are disbanding over this controversy, or over that controversy, or over this meat, or over that meat, or over this drink, or over that drink. It's over masks. It's over vaccines. It's over worship. It's over music. It's over this. It's over that. And it's heartbreaking. Why? Because unity within the body is necessary as we gather together around this one thing Christ, this gospel message, this Savior of all the world, this King of kings and Lord of lords, as we gather around Him with one voice, we bring glory to God. That in the midst of a wicked and a perverse nation that is going downhill and, 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 a, and has been for generations and cultures all throughout the world, America is not unique. Now this is, this is Rome. You know, it's very much applicable, but Corinth was like that, and Ephesus was like that, and this church was like that, and every church has been like that. You know? Every church. And what we see, not only in present day, but in former days and in the days of the New Testament church, they're being led by the, the apostles, inspired by God of very God, right? That they were not impervious 
to issues within the congregation with pride that would well up in them such that they were willing to devour one another and destroy the work of God, Paul tells us here in Romans chapter number 14. Why? Because of meat. Because of meat. And that's what we see as we walk through the text. You have these people that are at odds with one another. Why? Because one believes this thing and one believes that thing. Verse number 4, Paul tells us, Who are you to judge? Another's servant. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand. For God is able to make him stand. Verse number 5, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. What you see is you see that this is not only going on with meat and drink, but this is going on with days. Possibly feasts, possibly festivals, possibly even Sabbaths. And he says some honor this day and some esteem that day better than alike. Each need to be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, verse 6, observes it to the Lord. And he who does it, guess what? He observes it to the Lord as well. He who eats, he eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he doesn't eat. And gives God thanks. Verse number 7, For none of us live to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died. Get that. That is an extremely important phrase. If you want to understand the purpose, and this is one of the hard things about outlining this entire passage, is that Paul goes back and forth so much just reinforcing the very argument that he makes. He argues that this is what's happening and this is what you must do. And this is what's happening and this is what you must do. And this is why. This is a purpose statement. That this is something that is necessary Right? That this is essential because for this end Christ died. Okay? Like that's a thing, asterisk, star, underline, underline, highlight, arrows to this portion of Scripture. This is extremely important. Why? Because Jesus Christ deserves what he died for. What did he die for? And rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, again, this is reason statement, right? As a result of that, I'm going to apply it to the life of the local church. If that's the case, and God is the judge over everything, and that He died to be Lord over them, not die so that you could be Lord over them, then leave them to God and determine in your own heart, in your own mind, in your own Christian life that you're not going to pass judgment upon anyone in this sense, but rather resolve this, verse 13, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your brother's way. That if this is a reality, there's people within the church... I beg you to receive one another, the strong and the weak and the weak and the strong, not to despise one another, not to judge one another. Why? For the unity of the faith, Romans chapter 15, or four, uh, 15 that we read earlier, for the glory of God, because without it, why? Because Jesus Christ died for that, and without unity, God will not be glorified, nor receive that for which He died. That's the argument. And that God will one day judge them and stand before them that He is not only the Lord of the living, but He is the Lord of the dead. Right? 
Those that are dead and, and alive and, and Christ remain alive and that God will judge them one day according um, to His, His law. So don't pass judgment upon your brother. Verse number one, let's get this. We didn't talk about it initially. Over doubtful things. Over doubtful things. And we'll get to that in just a moment. Thus is born in verse number 14. Paul says, guess what? I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Here's where it gets messy. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. What Paul argues here is in verse number 14, that there is a realm within the, the, the life of a believer, a realm that is somewhat gray, not black and white, not laid out explicitly within the context of the Word of God with a clear commandment that says that a man, a woman, a child can create this environment in which they live that a thing that is not sin can be sin. Um, that's interesting, isn't it? There are certain things that you and I can engage in in which we think is sin that, that does become sin because we think it is, but it's really not. Right? Now maybe I could illustrate it like this. I have children. Imagine one day if my child comes to me, my little boy, and um, we've given them a commandment, a law, within the home, just told them, you're not to eat any candy until supper. Um, little boy, I'm sitting there studying in my study, and he knocks on the door, he walks in, and he says, or, or he cries out from outside the door, Daddy, can I have um, a piece of candy? And I'm a little irritated or frustrated or not listening all that well, and I say, um, okay. But through the door, he doesn't understand it like that. Um, he hears no way. He goes downstairs and communicates to his brothers and sisters that Daddy says no. Well, what little rambunctious boy does other than that, because I've got one that's crazier, is he goes and he gets the candy anyway. Why? Because when the boy communicated that, that he wasn't supposed to, but what he doesn't know is that he's allowed to, yet that is sin anyway. Why? Because he usurped the authority in his mind. That he had created this realm of authority, or we had, this realm of authority exists in his life, that daddy is his authority. And even though, um, even though, as the command goes forth, it's misunderstood and communicated that way, and he oversteps the boundary of that communication. So he thinks he's not supposed to eat because of miscommunication. But he does anyway. And even though I said yes, he offends his own conscience and sins against it because he's created that in his own mind. Paul says there's a realm like that. That there are people that are eating and not eating within the community of Christ, within the church at Rome. And guess what? They, they have created this in their own mind. They, they don't understand the new covenant possibly like you do. They don't understand all of the benefits that they have in Christ like you do. They're still hanging on to old covenant law, not quite like you are. But you should understand that. You know, you living as a Gentile didn't come out of that. You didn't worship the Lord on the Sabbath every single day of your entire life for 30 years. You know, you've never had a piece of meat that was given to idols. You've never eaten a piece of pork. That these people don't have the clear understanding. It's somewhat of a misunderstanding. But guess what? They still love the Lord. And they're trying to honor and they're trying to serve Him. And for you to come in and to despise that, 
is sinful. That's the idea. That's why in verse 15 he goes on to say, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy your food uh, with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be eat, spoken of as evil. That which you have determined to be good and to be right. Paul says, I know that it's right. I know that I'm allowed to do this. Um, but if you act in such a way to, and despise your brother because he's weaker than you and at a different point of sanctification than you are and you abuse your liberties. Why? Because I know that I can eat. Why don't you hear where I'm at? Why don't you understand things like I do? I mean, it's as clear as day. Look at the Scriptures. And you abuse that liberty and despite of your brother and grieve your brother over the sin. He says that you destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be even spoken, evil or spoken of as evil. That as you entertain within the church and outside the church, let no one, this thing that you've determined to be good, let them no one say that it's evil because of the way that you abused it. And you devoured your brother. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Verse 17, this is a conclusion statement as well. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. He says that the kingdom of God, this isn't about food, this isn't about drink, this isn't about meat, this isn't about idols, this is about service to God. The candy with my child was not about the candy. You know, the disobedience and the discipline and the love that comes forth from that, it's not about the candy. Who cares about the candy? It's about him desiring to honor the relationship that God has created with myself and with him. That the kingdom of God is not made up of food and drink. It's not inherently good. It's not inherently evil. It's about what you do with that. But it's made of rightness, um, doing the right things. It's about peace. It's about reconciliation. It's about joy in the Spirit of God, only borne out by Him. And listen, he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Men who do this are in good status with God and in fellowship. Therefore, verse 19, therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God, he says, for the sake of food. All things, again, he's just reiterating the same thing over and over. All things that are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. So not only eating does it grieve your brother, um, but it may also... Um, pressure your brother to eat against his conscience. If that's the case, you just caused your brother to sin. And you should never offend your brother's conscience or press him to do something against it. Why? Because even though the law, even though you have a clear understanding and you may be the stronger brother, he's created this in his own mind to where if he partakes of that very thing, he's sinning against the God for whom Christ died for him. That's the idea. He's usurping the authority. And it's not good for him and it's not good for you. It's neither good, verse 21, um, it is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith, he says? Have it to yourself before God. Blessed or happy is the man who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is 
sin. And you see this scenario in which these brothers are coming together with all of their differences. And while it's beautiful, it's, um, it's a, an equation for a mess, right? You've got one who believes that he can do this thing and you've got another who believes that he shouldn't. Well, what should they do? Paul says that that, that love that I just delineated about um, would and should provoke us to love our brother such that we don't hail the food or the drink or this thing or that thing greater than our brother and we're willing to lay it down for the sake of our brother. Otherwise, we destroy the work of God. Otherwise, we despise our brother. Otherwise, we destroy the one for whom Christ died. So that thing which you've called good, verse 22, don't let that thing be the thing that condemns you. And don't let your brother pressure him when he's doubting and not pursuing this thing by faith, but through pressure. Why? Because if the man doesn't pursue it by faith, then it's sin. And you've just caused your brother to sin. And you have sinned. Verse 15, chapter 15 and verse 1. I know, it took us a while to get to our text. We then, the, you know, out of all the chapter breaks in all the Bible, I'm convinced this one probably shouldn't be here. Uh, because this is a continuation of the conversation that he just had. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples or the weaknesses, the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. Why? For even Christ did not please Himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on Me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And now may the God of patience and comfort grant you. And he goes on, verse 7, Therefore, receive one another. Receive one another. What's the point of all this? And again, I know that it's not all that polished. It's not all that glorious. But it's true. It's true. And it's not particularly true of this church that I can tell yet but it is true of churches. And maybe it's true of us. That we're in scenarios exactly like this, right? In which we come to the table believing certain things and somebody else comes to the table believing other things. And I know what some of us are waiting on for me to tell you the things that you should believe, right? And I know some of you didn't come here to listen about vaccines or about mask mandates or about worship services or anything like that. And you may be wanting me to tell you what you should do. Guess what? I'm not going to. You may have noticed that over the past month to two months, I've been extremely silent on the issue. As the surge has ramped up, there's not been a word about it. I read an article the other day that said pastors should be speaking up on it, so here I am speaking up on it. He said, what should we do? I say, do what your conscience allows. I say, this is a liberty of conscience issue. But not only this, a hundred things. Right? A million things. Things in which the Word of God doesn't speak to in explicit terms. That my goal today is not to convince you one way or another to do this thing or to do that thing inherently. 
but possibly to give you the tools to discern, the biblical tools to discern exactly what you should do and how you should treat your brother who may choose to do something differently. So if we turn back to Romans chapter 14 and verse number 1 through 3, I'm going to give you one of those tools, okay? One of those tools to help you navigate the choices of life, which may not be all that clear in Scripture. Number one, you need discernment. You need discernment. That's actually what the word there means, a judge or dispute doubtful things. The word there, doubtful, and, and things could come together to, to, mean, to mean opinions that are debatable. Um, judgments and discernments that are debatable. They're not quite as clear in Scripture. But you need discernment on these issues. But also what I need to tell you is, is that I'm not talking about everything. Okay? That whenever I use the word term discernment as the first tool, I need for you to be able to discern what is a disputable thing and what is not. Okay? That whenever you study the scriptures, this is not a universal, um, this is not a universal uh, reality that you're to take with everything. Right? But there are certain things in which we're not, it's not debatable. Okay? You go to the book of Galatians in chapter 1 and verse number 7, and what you find is that the gospel is not debatable. That's not, a, that's not a disputable thing. That's not a thing that we're going to get up and, and, and talk about and we're going to be indifferent or apathetic about. It's not something that you can come and, and, and seek to be part of this church and disagree on the gospel. You know? Um, we're, we're not debating over a work salvation. We're not debating over whether repentance and faith are required um, to come to Christ. We're not debating over, over the atonement. We're not debating over the, um, the deity of Christ. We're not debating upon the gospel or the message. Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 7, Paul says that that very thing is, that very person is accursed. That that doctrine is not debatable. And we need discernment to know what is essential and what is non-essential. Paul says that, or John says the very same thing in 2 John chapter 1 and verse number 7. That there is a certain type of man that you're not even to entertain. One who doesn't understand or is propagating a different gospel and a different view of Christ. Uh, that Christ came not in the flesh and you're not even to sit down and to have dinner with that man in a way. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number, or chapters 5 and 6 speak of a man that they put outside the church. Why? Because of a certain type of man that he was, a sexually immoral man. Romans chapter 16 and verse number 17 says, I appeal to you, brethren, just a couple chapters later, after this very exhortation, to watch out for those who cause divisions among you. There is a certain realm and category of things that are not debatable. Paul's not arguing that here. He's not saying that you can come together in this ecumenical type of congregation or church coalition to where uh, things like that don't matter. Well, I'm not arguing today by any means that, that we should be at all apathetic or indifferent about anything that we believe. Okay? If, that if you walk away thinking that, that, that I'm, I'm trying to be ecumenical, or I'm trying to say that we can be apathetic or indifferent about anything um, or, or everything, and then you've misunderstood me. And I want to make sure that we don't walk away with that today. Because number two, the second um, tool is conviction. Conviction. You need certain convictions. We need convictions. But wait, right? That doesn't sound like a good equation for peace, does it? That's one thing I love about this church. 
I've, I've said to many people, I love the church that is just theologically driven, man. I love it to death. And I thank God for it. There's always people that engage me after the sermons. There's always debates about end times things and, 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 and various church practices and things like that. And I love it. It pushes me on. It pushes me forward. You know, and then I said, what well, some of the hardest things that I've ever had to deal with in a church is a theological people. <laughs> you know, why? Because we all come and we come hard and we come with convictions because we love the Lord. We want to honor him. But that sounds like a good equation for problems, doesn't it? Paul says, no, that's a good equation for peace. Sounds like a good equation for quarreling and debate, but that's not Paul's idea. Romans 14, 5 says, One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Right? That we're not arguing up here that, or Paul's not arguing that, 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 there, that, that any of these issues, even the non essential issues, are, are issues in which you should be apathetic or indifferent. You want to talk about vaccines? You want to talk about mandates? You want to talk about tyrannical rule and overreach? You want to talk about um, celebrating pagan holidays? Uh, you want to talk about wearing head coverings? You want to talk about not? You want to talk about drinking wine, drinking alcohol, not drinking it, tattoos, getting tattoos or not, worshiping on the Lord's Day and a hundred, a thousand other things that many of you have convictions about and many of you are on the other side of the brother or sister that's sitting before you. You know, it seems like a, a, an equation for peace would be just be apathetic and indifferent about all that. But Paul says no. Paul says you need to be fully convinced. You need to be fully convinced. Why? Because at the end of the chapter, he says that anything that you pursue that's not of faith is sin. That it is incumbent upon you as an individual and incumbent upon me as an individual to work through the issues that are at hand. And to be fully convinced into my own mind through Scripture and through uh, scriptural teaching. That's what you see. That's, that's another tool in Romans chapter 14 or 15 and verse number uh, 4, right? For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. That's what Paul says. His conclusion is born out of Scripture. He says in verse number three, for even Christ died, or for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That Paul's argument about this entire thing is born out of Christ, but it's born out of an understanding of Christ through Scripture. Right? He doesn't even relate to experience. He doesn't talk about Acts chapter 9 when Christ came and just knocked him off of his horse and changed his life for the glory of God. He doesn't talk about his sufferings. He doesn't point back to the cross um, in, in some explicit type of way and build this illustration. You know what he does? He says, this is what Scripture teaches. You know? That you and I, as we come um, to the congregation, as we come to life together and we engage other Christians and we engage one another, that the, 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 the method that is laid out for us in Scripture um, to gather, is to gather together in unity for the glory of God. And what you need is some discernment about what to fight for and what not to. But even in those non-essential things, you need to understand that in your own heart you need to fight for those things. You need to fight for those things. Why? Because Paul, because God wants a people that will pursue the Lord in honor of Him. Right? And that is, so I don't just say this to anybody and I don't just say this to me. And this isn't a, a, a license for all of us just to go out and to, to believe whatever it is that we want to believe. Paul says that there's a certain type of man that these men are, or these sisters are. Right? He says in verse number 6, 
that he who observes the day observes it to who? To the Lord. And he who doesn't observe the day doesn't observe it how? To the Lord. And he who eats, eats to the Lord. And he who gives God, gives God thanks. And he who doesn't eat, he does it to the Lord. And he gives God thanks. That the type of men that we're saying, that are being spoken of here, that have convictions, have a conviction because they want to honor the Lord. That's it. That's it. That's the undergirding, unifying principle that brings the unity of the brethren together even in the midst of differences. You know? But what happens so often is that you and I look at one another and the decisions that we've made and we become the judge of their hearts and we ascribe motivation. That's what's happening in the text. That's what he means when he talks about passing judgment. There are judgments that you are to make. And we see that in the text, where we see that in the text that we read earlier. Judgments about sin, judgments that are about clear um, Scripture, judgments about commands that God has given. There are certain things that are not debatable, but then there is a realm that are. And that what we are supposed to do is to cultivate convictions based upon the Word of God, by the power of His Spirit, and pursue God by faith in whatever we, with His help, have determined. And that other person, if they're doing the exact same thing, you're to respect them. And guess what? You're not only to respect them, you're to encourage them to do what God has, what they have determined that God wants them to do. Why? Because in their minds, in their hearts, in their spirits, they believe that that's what honors the Lord. That's it. That's it. That the family of God at a local level is just multiple people pursuing God in their individual and family walks. They're all growing up into Christ. They're all coming from different locations and different places and moving towards Christ in different, at different paces. Some were pagans and some were religious. Some were Jews and some were Gentiles. Some grew up here in Christianity and some didn't. I remember whenever I was saved, I didn't have an ounce of biblical knowledge. And one of the most precious gifts that was ever given to me was... Uh, was a gift by my mother-in-law. It was a Bible with tabs on it because I couldn't have told you the difference between Habakkuk and Malachi um, or Matthew and Romans. I didn't have a clue where I was going or what I was doing. But there were people who were gracious who came alongside and recognized there was a young man that had no idea what he was doing. And they loved me. Again, we didn't disagree on the gospel. Again, they weren't disputable things. They looked at a young man. They looked at me. And many people have looked at me throughout the ages and, 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 and have done the same thing. And they bore with me, with my, with my scruples, with my weaknesses, with my infirmities. You know? And we are so quick to point the finger and we're so quick to, 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 to throw people under the bus and we're so quick to ascribe motivations and we're so quick to despise our brothers wondering how in the world could they ever come to that conclusion not realizing all the holes that we probably have in our theology as well. Why? Because we have not yet arrived. The point was not food. The point was not food. If you were to go to 1 Corinthians 8 and verse number 12, and you don't necessarily uh, need to turn there, 
But you, in the same uh, similar episode, and you read this in verse number 12. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again, lest I make my brother stumble. That you need to recognize that this is more than about alcohol. This is more than about head coverings. That this is more than about... Um, television, that this is more than about vaccines, that this is more than about this, or this is more than about that. This is about Christ. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 12 says that to sin against your brother is to sin against Christ. Romans 14, 18 says to serve your brother is to serve Christ. That the, that the, that the major tool that you need is not only discernment and it's not only conviction, and it's not only the Word of God, but it's the Gospel. That's what you need, right? Romans 14.3 said, um, Let him not judge him who eats. Why? For God has received him. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 3, For even Christ did not please Himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on Me. Fell on Me. That if you're ever going to be able, if I'm ever going to be able, to not please myself. That's what he says in 15.1, right? This is the problem. 15.1, there it is. I'm the problem. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. What? How, Paul? Not pleasing ourselves, right? How in the world are you ever not going to please yourself? The only way that you could ever accomplish that is to look to Christ who is our example. That you need some convictions, that you need some discernment, but more than that, you need the Gospel. I need the Gospel. I need to be saturated day in and day out and remember that I am to receive this younger brother, this weak brother in the faith who would stand toe-to-toe with me on ten practical issues of, of practice. And where I think I have liberty, he thinks that he doesn't. I'm not going to overbear my... my, 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 my I'm not going to abuse my liberty and, 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 and despise him, nor make him do the things that in his conscience he's, not, he's determined that he's not supposed to do. I'm going to come along and I'm just going to bear them up. You know why I'm here today? In this place? You know why you've never heard me really rail against the, the, the dominations that I have came from? It's because so many people have bore with me. So many people have been patient with me. I've had some wonky theology. I've preached some, some, some God-forsaken sermons in days past. And I beg God to forgive me. You know? I've held some, some wonky theological views and I've discounted and despised some people for some of the things that they've done. But every once in a while, I have somebody come along and with loving correction just speak to me as a young man who's weak in the faith and like a father to a son. Why? Because that's what Christ did for them. He accepted them when they were weak. He accepted them when they were not only weak, but dead and broken. And all of their sin and all of their corruption and all of their rebellion and not just wonky theology, we were all heretics. And Jesus Christ comes along and He receives those weak and those ailing and those dead in their trespasses and sin. And you know what? Every single day since I was a 15-year-old boy, God's still been doing the same thing. He still determines that He will fellowship with me on the basis of Christ and on Christ alone, not my own merits. Not on, my pra- not on all of my practices, but as long as I desire to honor Him. 
That's the, that's, the, that's the crux. That's the point, right? Not that you can do anything and everything that you desire to please yourself, but you are abandoning yourself. Pursuing the development and cultivation of your own convictions out of, out of, out of a, a love for the Word of God and prayer. Why? So that you can honor the Lord. So that you can honor the Lord. That's the purpose. For even Christ did not please Himself, but as is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. How in the world are you ever going to abandon yourself and not please yourself? You're going to look to Christ. You're going to go to the Scriptures. As verse number 4 says, give you endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures. Why? That you might have hope. And now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Jesus Christ. Why? That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another. That's it. That's it. So how do I differentiate between the essentials and the non-essentials? Here's one tip. Either way, you can still honor the Lord. That's it. That's what he said in verse number 6. He who observed the day, observed it to the Lord. He who didn't observe the day, didn't observe it to the Lord. That his ultimate aim was that, to honor and to glorify God. That's the only way we could ever be in unity and come together as one voice for Christ to propagate his message and his gospel and this and, and to accomplish his purpose. That's the only thing that could bring us together to accomplish that one voice that's spoken of in Romans 15. That's it. Why? Because we both came together with differing opinions on these non-essentials, but we both desire still to honor the Lord. That that's our motivation. That we've come to the grips with the fact that we are not to please ourselves in all of these things. That I'm not pursuing this opinion or that opinion or this action or that action just because I want to. I've really came to the, to, to the text and I've really came to this thing. And I've asked myself, you know, does this honor the Lord? Does it? Does it? I've came to the Scriptures that have encouraged me and given me hope. And I've gripped the realities that are ahead of me. Just like Christ did who became a servant and set Himself aside in His rights and His majesties. Why? Because, because of this thing, this reality in which He was going to grip that He died for. That's the only reason you could not please yourself. Or the only way you could not please yourself is to hope in Christ and the realities that are before us, that are, that are eternal and ours, yet not realized. Thus, we can abandon ourselves in this world because we see the immeasurable value of, of the souls for whom Christ died that, that, that we are not willing to destroy them for food. That's the idea. That's the idea. Love your brothers. But what should I do? Should I take it or not? Should I wear it or not? Should I have a TV or not? You know? Should I do this or not? What did the Scriptures teach you? More importantly than that, what are you willing to give? So that God's name would be glorified when the world looks in and sees the people. Um... When at all points they should have abandoned one another, stay together and forfeit certain liberties, 
Why? Because the love of Christ is what melts them together and their desire to honor the Lord. So you say, you have a question in your mind, I don't doubt. What should I do in this scenario? I would first ask you, in that question, is your ultimate desire to honor the Lord? Is it? Raising your family, discipling your children, loving your wife, doing this, doing that, are you pursuing all of that for the sole purpose of glorifying Christ, exalting His name, and honoring Him? These are the type of people that we're talking about in Romans 14. You know? So many people want to utilize Scripture like the Pharisees and the scribes, which we're talking about in the book of Mark. Why? To propagate what they already desire to do. Have you came to this issue and this question and realized that I was created for the sole purpose of exalting God Himself and that in this thing I am to do it as well? Therefore, I'm going to go to the Word of God and I'm going to wrestle with the Scriptures, not just read it blindly or run over it with the surface. I'm going to go to it because I really, I don't want to sin against God. He's immeasurably holy and He's immeasurably gracious. And He saved me. And He continues to keep me. And I recognize that in this thing hangs in the balance Dishonoring the Lord. You know, we want to abuse our liberties day in and day out, and we think that it's a trivial thing. That's what Paul means when he says, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all things to the glory of God. That's what he means. It's more than just food and it's more than just drink, it's sin or service to Christ. Thus, we should be compelled as believers to run to Him in the Scriptures to pursue what I am to do and what honors the Lord in this scenario. And guess what? If you choose something different than me, when you have the Scriptures and you have the science and you have all this, guess what I'm going to encourage you to do if it's, not, if it's a debatable thing? I'm going to encourage you to honor the Lord and where He's leading you. Okay? And that goes for both ways. Now, if you want to know my own personal opinion and where God has convicted me, and the discernment that He's given me based upon the Scriptures that I have and the current understanding that I have of God's Word, then, then feel free to ask. And I'll tell you where I'm at and what I am and what I'm not going to do. And I'll tell you this church what we are and what we're not going to do. All right? We're going to keep meeting. You know, we're going to stand on the Word. We're going to preach the Gospel. You know, we're going to have some convictions about things. We're going to believe God. Um, we're, we're not giving up the gathering of God's people. You know, These are things that I've determined. These are things that I think are the Lord. You know? Do you want to honor the Lord? That's the, that's the message. That's it. Romans, whether that makes sense to you or not, I pray that you'll take Romans 14 and 15 home with you. That you'll read it through and that God may grant you. That's what he says. That, that, that the God of all hope in verse 13 with you, will, will grant you with joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That that's what God's able to grant. That that is what God is able to do. That God will glorify Himself when a people gather together, unified, exalting Christ, desiring to honor the Lord. Doesn't it amaze you sometimes about, about the people God used? You know, I remember being in, uh, again, rigid um, denomination who believed that everybody else was dying and going to hell. I got to reading and I got to believe in God and I got to seeing all the people that God used throughout the ages. Men who would crucify me today. You know? And I got to thinking, how in the world does God bless such diversity? 
um, because they had the essential things down and were willing to die for them. And in the non-essential things, they did it to honor the Lord. That's it. And that's where we should be. The non-essentials, get on that hill, men, and die if God requires you to. Things like the gospel, things like the deity of Christ, things like the atonement, things like the gospel message. And on other, and on other hills, men, be willing to die for your brother. All right? Why? Because that's in service to Christ. Be willing to lay aside certain things that you know are right and you know are good and you're convicted of and you're convinced. Why? Because your brother's more than meat. And he means something to you. Because he means something to Christ. And he's worth more than going to that place or doing that thing or engaging in this thing. He's worth more. Is your brother worth more? Is Christ worth more? Will you serve Him today or will you sin against Him? And will we as a body gather together, unify with that one purpose to honor the Lord in exaltation of Christ? Um, thus that we glorify God, verse 7, when we receive one another even as Christ has received us. That's the goal of this body, I'm going to tell you. All right? It's not to create and cultivate uniformity of a cult. Okay? It is to bring people from all walks of life and to mature them under the Word of God as we exalt Christ. Sure, pray God brings them along, but if He takes them somewhere else and they do it to the honor and glory of God, then amen. And I believe that God will be honored through that. And I believe the world will look in and see something unique because it's something Christ bought and it's something Christ died for and it's something that Christ is raising up Himself. And that's why you can have the nations today being received by men of all accords with different practices throughout the world. Why? Because they die, they're dying and preaching the essentials. Um, and they're convicted about the non-essentials. But they're dying for their brothers also in those non-essentials recognizing that they are worth more than meat. Let's pray. Father, we love and thank You and praise You for the privilege of teaching and preaching. Father, we thank You for the privilege of being back among the people of whom You've called. God, Your bride is beautiful. She's amazing. She's glorious. She's worth more than all the world. Father, I pray that You'd help me remember that. But it's easy for me to get high and haughty and to think I've got it all figured out. God, would you help me? Help me to love my brother. Help me to love my sister. Help me to love my church, Father, for the glory of God. Jesus died for it, and he's worth it. So, Father, would you aid us and help us, Father, by giving us the strength to believe that and to pursue that by faith. Father, there's so many things in this world to get distracted by. There's so many reasons, Father, today to lose hope and faith. There's so many things, Father, to hate my brother for. God, would you compel us today to love him and to love one another? Why? Because the glory of God and the manifestation and display of his attributes um, rely on it. Father, may our good not be evil spoken of by the world. Father, may what we approve of not condemn us in the end. But Father, may you help us not to please ourselves, but to look to Christ who did not please himself, 
laid aside his rights and privileges for the sake of the lost, for the sake of his bride. Father, may you help us to do the same. Not to become apathetic and different, Father, but to be bold with convictions. But at the same time, recognizing if our brother is desiring to honor the Lord, and we should encourage that. We should propagate that. We should foster that. Lord, we just pray that you'll use us, Father, as a canvas to display the beauty of your Son to one another, to our children, and to a lost and a dying nation in the midst of peril. Father, would you do that? Would you unify us? Would you answer the prayer of our Lord Jesus in John 17 and unify us even as the Father is with the Son that the world may know that there is a God in heaven and that Jesus is that God and that they may come, Father, and may your Son receive the reward of his sufferings today, not only, Father, in salvation, but also what you've died to save us to do. So, Father, we give you this time now and pray that you'll do eternal things with it. We pray that you'll shore up my weaknesses, Father, and where I failed, you'll take the text, Father, um, and use it for your glory and continue to change the people of God, even myself, Father, as we leave from this place because of what we've done here. Father, We just I just want to honor you. That's it. That's it. No grand illusion, Father, of being anything great. I just want to honor you. And I pray that we've done that today. Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.